This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Rusty Gray and Toya Christian Fellowship. For more information, visit tcfministries.org. All right, praise God. Uh, This past uh, March the 18th, uh, I went to Lubbock to uh, Church on the Rock to attend a funeral for Max Ellison. And uh, many of you in here know Max Ellison, know who he was. You may be friends with him. They lived in Nazareth for many years, and he was a crop duster. And uh, their two daughters attended Grand Zero and were part of our youth ministry for many years and went to camp with us. And then they moved to Lubbock, and we didn't have contact with them. But he had a battle with cancer, and he passed away. Well, at the funeral, the young man that did the funeral, uh, toward the end of the funeral, he shared the simple message of the gospel. He shared the good news of Jesus Christ, and he gave people an opportunity to respond to that message and receive Christ as their Savior. And probably about 10 people in that funeral raised their hands, and then he led them in a simple salvation prayer. Well, then on March the 24th, uh, this past week, sadly, uh, Serena Balsadua passed away in an auto accident and, uh, in Amarillo, and I was asked to do her funeral, and it was at the Church of Christ here in town, absolutely packed. Uh, she was 19 years old. There was no empty play- seats, standing room only, probably over 300 people there. And I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to give an altar call. I don't always do it at funerals. A lot of times I don't do it. But I shared the simple message of Jesus Christ. When we heard that Serena had passed away, whenever anybody young passes away that we know, the first thing that we always ask ourselves is did they come to Power Kids or to Grand Zero? And I went by the Toya Day Nursery and I visited with Liz because Liz did Power Kids for many years. And she said, oh yes, Serena was there. And uh, then we knew that she was a part of Grand Zero. And And the reason that always stirs in us is because we know that if your child or grandchild was in Power Kids or Ground Zero, they had an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Savior. So I knew that Serena knew Christ as her Savior. So I did that funeral. Uh, I gave an altar call, and I gave people an opportunity to receive Christ. And probably 20 people in that service raised their hand, and I led them in a simple prayer, and they invited Christ into their heart. Well, this past Wednesday on uh, March 25th, uh, it was stirring in my heart, and we always do it in Power Kids. Uh, we print, preached a simple gospel message in Power Kids and uh, just shared about Jesus Christ and his love for them and his death on the cross. And I asked the boys and girls if they wanted to invite Christ into their Savior. Probably, conservatively, 40 kids raised their hands. I invited them to get out of their seats and to come down to the platform. Our platform in Power Kids is not near this tall, but there's 40 boys and girls gathered around that platform looking up at me, and I led them in the simple salvation prayer to invite Christ into their Savior, and 40 boys and girls got saved. Well, then that very same night, right here in this auditorium, on Wednesday night, it's full of uh, teenagers, which was the same night, March 25th, and Kurt preached the gospel, and we don't see near as many teenagers saved in Grand Zero like we used to in the early days. You know, in the early days, we'd get 20 and 30 teenagers at a time saved, but what happens now is they come to Power Kids, they hear the gospel, and they get saved as children. Our primary goal in Power Kids, our primary goal is to make sure they know Jesus Christ as their Savior before they come to ground zero. Well, Kurt did an altar call Wednesday night, and easily across the room there were 10 teenagers that raised their hand to receive Christ as their Savior. Now, that's 80 people, 80. Now, I'm not taking, I'm not taking credit for any of it, but Max Ellison, that, was, that wasn't, we weren't a part of that, but I was there and I wanted to share it with you. 
80 people said yes to Jesus Christ in the last two weeks. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to understand this morning. It's we church, not me church. Okay, we were a part of seeing 80 souls come to Jesus Christ. All right, just like what Kurt said, you give, you pray, you're involved, you're a volunteer. We are seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Now, I do not want you, here's why I want you to understand something. Do not believe the lie that people aren't interested in the gospel. Don't you believe the lie that people don't want Jesus, they're busy about their own lives, and they don't care, and they're not interested, because it's absolutely a lie. Listen, it takes guts to raise your hand in a funeral and say, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, what is so important about power kids is children, you're never more tender than when you're a child. And so 40 kids respond, where maybe only 10 adults will respond. But I want you to understand something. The people you know, the people you rub shoulders with that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, our culture has no answers. Their lives are not going the way they want them to. And everybody you know is looking for hope. Everybody you know is looking for help. Everybody you know is looking for answers. Listen, folks. I mean, and I I want you to know my heart. We're all tired of watching the news where airliners are crashing and people are being killed. And everybody you know wants to know what in the world is going on. Why are things the way they are? And listen, we have the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to show you three things, three directives that Jesus gave us as the church, as a local New Testament church, but as the body of Christ. Jesus gave us three directives. Now, what did we find out last week? Well, we found out that the word Lord means boss. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And so Lord means boss. We found out last week in our uh, Not A Fan Life group that the word Lord in the original language also means owner. Okay? The Bible says that if you know Christ is your Savior, you've been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the startling truth, guys. You don't belong to you. Your bank account's not yours. Your home is not yours. Your life is not yours. You've been purchased by Jesus Christ. So not only is he my boss, if you will, but he is also my owner. Well, Jesus has given us as Christians Three directives, all right? Now, I want you to understand this. It's, uh, this, this really means a lot, and I, don't, I want you to get this. In the military, there's a term called the commander's orders, okay? And if you've ever been in the military, you know about the military. Anytime, especially in war, a commander will give his orders to his group of soldiers, and he delegates his orders. And here's what they found out. Let's say that a, that a general or a commander says, we need to take this hill away from the enemy. So he tells his group of soldiers, we're going to take this hill. Well, then as they go into battle, things change. A lot of times, commanders can be killed, and uh, orders change, and things happen. Here's what they found out. Let me read you this. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Let me say it to you again. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Mike Tyson, he was a world champion heavyweight boxer. He said this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Okay, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now, you know, if you've been coming here very long, I love football. There's no football right now. So one of the things that helps me hold on during football season, one of the things that I enjoy watching is UFC. 
Okay, and I love to watch those guys beat each other up in that ring. And uh, it helps me survive until football season comes back around. But here's what I know about UFC. You know, I like to watch the background, and they show how they train and the amazing things these men do and the hours and hours and hours they spend getting ready for this fight and how hard their training is. But once they get inside the octagon and that guy kicks you in the mouth, all bets are off. Then it's just fighting for survival, Amen. Okay, now here's the thing I want you to see this morning. Jesus is our commander, and he's given us three things he wants to do, three directives, all right? Now, here's what they found out. They had to go from commander's orders to commander's intent. Now, let me explain to you what that means. Anytime you move into battle, things change. So what they decided to do was, instead of giving guys direct orders, they said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this hill, and then you do whatever you need to do to get it done as long as you're within the commander's intent. If things need to change, they can. Our commander, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our boss, and our owner has given us three intents, three things that he wants us to do. Now, I'm only going to show you two of them this morning. So let me read you a scripture, and let me show you the first one. Here's our very first directive from our commander, and it's simply this. Preach the gospel to every creature. Now, listen, as a church, we do a lot of things. We do power kids, we do ground zero, we do men's ministry, we do women's ministry, we go to men's retreat, we do all kinds of things. But every bit of that is supposed to fall under our commander's directive, which is this, make sure you're sharing the gospel. Make sure you're making me part of what's going on. Make sure you're telling the story of my death, burial, and resurrection. It's his first directive. Now listen to what it says in John 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Our commander's first directive, his first intent is this. We've got to make sure that we're winning the lost. We've got to make sure we're sharing the gospel. We've got to make sure that we're giving people a chance to receive Jesus as its Savior and that we're winning souls. It's our first and most important job is that we're sharing the gospel with people. Now, here's the thing I want you to see this morning. The lifeblood of church is new believers, right? We're a multi-generational church. Really, if you want to know the truth, we're a two-generation church. Did you know that most churches lose their effectiveness after 25 years? I didn't say they close their doors. I said they lose their effectiveness after 25 years. You know why? Because there's no young people in church. They're a one-generational church. Listen, if we're not inviting people to church, if we're not winning new believers to church, if we're not bringing young people to church, you know what happens? Well, in a few years, we die, and we're not a church anymore. Do you know why we have that building down there called Power Kids? Because they were a one-generational church, and they grew older day by day, week by week, year by year, and they woke up and looked around, and their building was empty, and it was full of nothing but older people, and they died. Now, here's what I want you to see. The church is not supposed to be a place where Christians are babysat. It's supposed to be a hospital where the hurting and the hopeless and the broken are brought, and we love them, and we pray for them, and we minister to them. Amen? 
Now, here's what happens. If we don't do that, then we go from being a nursery to Christians to a cemetery or a mortuary, and we slowly die, and that's not the directive that our commander gave us. Listen, I love you, but my job is not to make you happy. My job is not to please you. My job is not to babysit you. My job is not to make sure that the coffee is the right temperature for you or we have the kind of uh, whatever it is that you want here. Now, I love you, and I'm glad you're here. Don't misunderstand me, but my job job is to strengthen you and encourage you so we can go out into this community and into your world and win people to Christ. Now, let me show you some simple things that we can do to make that happen. Here's the first one. We got to be center friendly. As a church, we got to be center friendly. What does that mean? Well, what happens to us as Christians is we get our own lingo. We get our own words. We get our own dress. We kind of become a subculture. And then when anybody new comes in and they happen to sit in your seat that you bought and paid for five years ago, then you kind of give them a dirty look and you wish they weren't here. We can't do that. We have to be center friendly. Okay. Well, pastor, I don't understand why we have it dark in here. I don't know why we have a coffee bar. I don't know why we have donuts. It's called bait. (laughs) Amen? Who fishes without bait? Right? Nobody fishes without bait. You don't catch any fish. You know, we've been picked on, and and not lately, not in a long time. But in the beginning, in Ground Zero, you know, people would make fun of Ground Zero because, well, you know, all y'all do is entertain kids. It's called bait, okay? There's pool tables and video games and awesome services to get kids to come to church so we can win them to Christ. It's the very same thing on Sunday morning. So we got to be center friendly. The second thing we got to do is we got to be careful with our Christian ease. What does that mean? That means lingo. We all kind of talk this code as Christians. And listen, the world doesn't know anything about that code. The world doesn't know anything. Do you know there's a whole generation of people that don't know any of the Old Testament Bible stories? I grew up in Sunday school. I know about David and Goliath. I know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know all those stories. But there's an entire world full of people who don't know any of those stories. And when I use them as references and I don't explain it, they think, who are those guys? All right, so we've got to be real with people. Are, are you with me? We've got to be real. Here's the next thing we've got to do is we can't scare people. Now, let me explain to you what that means. I've got a good friend, David Swan. He's a pastor in Clovis, New Mexico, and he grew up over there. And he had a family one time who didn't come to church. It was one of his faithful families. And they came the next Sunday. He said, man, where were y'all? I missed y'all. They said, oh, pastor, our family was in town, and we couldn't bring them. They're not ready for our church. And he said it rocked him to the core. And here's what he told me that I never forgot. You don't want your services to be spooky natural. You want them to be supernatural. And if we do things and we act weird because we think it's spiritual, then we scare people off. And then when they don't come back, we think we're spiritual. We're not spiritual. We're deceived. And we're breaking the first directive that our commander gave us, which is to win the loss. Here's what we want to happen at Toya Christian Fellowship. We want our services to be consistently good. Now listen, the Holy Spirit's moving. I've had people leave this church because the Spirit doesn't move here anymore. Folks, 80 people found Jesus Christ as their Savior in the last two weeks. 80 people! Go ahead, come on, you clap better than that. But, but the Spirit's not moving enough to suit you. 
Okay, we can't scare people. Here's the next thing you got to do is we want to create face-to-face moments with God. And that's what we do every single Sunday. I'm so thankful for our worship band. I'm so thankful for you as worshipers. Uh, God's presence was here this morning. I felt his presence. Now, I don't have to feel it to know it is, but we want to create an environment where when people come in this place next week, when you bring somebody, we're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to scare them, but we're going to bring them face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And we're going to give them an opportunity to say yes to the Lord and Savior and make heaven their home for all of eternity here's the next thing we have to do is we have to be helpful and not just friendly listen when people come in our doors they don't know where the bathroom is they don't know what coffee's free and what coffee's not free they don't know where the nursery is and see we're supposed to be friendly my gosh we better be friendly right but not just friendly but helpful hey uh can i show you where the restroom is hey the the coffee's right over here hey uh the nursery's right down here when a mama comes in she's got two carriers and two hanging onto her knees and a diaper bag that you don't just walk by and go man i'm glad you're here But you say, hey, can I help you, right? Can I help you? All right, so we can't be just friendly. Now, some of you need to work on being friendly too, right? Come on, right? You got to be friendly too, but not just friendly, but we got to be helpful. Now, listen, our commander's intent, his very first directive, everything we do falls under the tent of this directive, and that is what? That we're winning people to Jesus Christ. All right, let me show you the second thing that he said. The second thing he said is we're supposed to, once we win them to Christ, we're supposed to disciple them. Now, I want to read to you Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16. Let me find it. Matthew 28, 16. It says, then the 11 disciples, excuse me, hang on one second, I'm sorry. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now stop right there. I'm going to continue to read, but I want to make a very powerful point. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. Here's the statement Jesus makes. All authority, all power, both in heaven and on earth belong to me. Listen, no one else has power except Jesus Christ. All power in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus. Why does that matter, Pastor? Because that makes Mohammed a fraud. It makes Allah a fraud. It makes Gandhi a fraud. It makes Krishna a fraud. It makes Kali a fraud. It makes Oprah a fraud. Amen? And if, now you're clapping weak again. You got, come on. Yeah, come on. That's better. Now listen to me. I'm not mad at Oprah and I'm not preaching against Oprah. But when you watch her on TV and she tells you that somebody else has authority besides Jesus, she's a liar. And if you follow her, you'll be sorry. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples. I want you to see the word new. What does that mean? New Christians, new believers, new visitors, new disciples. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, all power on earth, on heaven and earth belongs to me. I'm going to delegate that authority to you. I'm going to give you the 
wisdom. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give the ability to be able to go to your job, to go to your friends, to go to your family and say, hey, Jesus Christ loves you and cares about you. I'm going to back you with my authority. And by the way, remember, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you. And I'm going to help you to do this. What's the second directive? Now, our commander gave three directives. And I'm not going to give you the third one this morning, but the first directive he said was, what are we supposed to be doing? Winning the lost. What's the second thing we're supposed to do? When we win them, disciple them. Now, let me explain to you what that means. In the church, discipleship can mean all kinds of different things, okay? It means coming to an extra class, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with classes. Uh... You know, if one church is really full and doing well and another pastor's jealous of that, here's what they'll say. Well, yeah, but they're not making disciples like we are. Okay, that's not true. Let me explain to you what being discipled is. You want to know what it is? It's learning how to do life. That's all discipleship is. Do you know what's happening this morning? We're coming together, we're having coffee, we're having a donut, we're talking in the coffee bar, we're hanging out, we're in church, you're hearing the word of God. You know what's going on right now this morning? We're being discipled. It's not an extra class behind closed doors somewhere else. Every time you get together with friends and family and you talk about the things of God, you know what you're doing? You're being discipled. When the teenagers gather in here on Wednesday night for Grand Zero and our volunteers and our team minister to them, you know what they're doing? They're being discipled. When we go down the street to power kids and we tell those kids, don't lie, don't cry, don't beat each other up, uh, you know what they're doing? They're being discipled. You know, there's children and power kids that have been taught by their family to lie. They don't know any better. But when we get up and tell them, hey, don't lie, that, that's not God. They're being discipled. When you gather in the coffee bar around a table and you laugh and talk, you're being discipled. See, discipleship is not anything weird. It's not something that, well, I don't know how that happens. All it is is doing life together. Tomorrow night, we're going to be down at Power Kids, and we're going to do not a fan. And you know what we're doing? We're being discipled. When you go right after this service and you gather up with somebody else and you say, hey, let's go down to El Camino and have lunch and get an enchilada, you know what you're doing? You're being discipled. We're learning to do life together. That's what this is all about. And then bringing somebody else in with you. Now, here's the question. I have people ask me all the time and I see people all the time and they want to know, well, well you know, how do I know if I'm growing? How do, how do I know if I'm growing in Christ? I'm being discipled. How do I know if it's working? I'm going to show you four simple things to know that you're growing as a Christian. Are people growing in your church? Hey, do you have a discipleship program at Tui Christian Fellowship? Absolutely, we do. Every time we meet, we have it. Does that make sense to you? Let me show you four simple things. Here's the first one. Are you closer to God? Are you closer to God? If I took time this morning and I went around this room, probably every single one of you could stand up and tell what your life was like before you started coming to church, what your life is like now that you're coming to church, and probably every single one of you would say, I'm closer to God than I was. You know what's happening? You're growing spiritually. Here's the second thing. Are you responsible to your family? What do you mean? Listen, as you grow spiritually, your family will become more healthy. You will fight less. You get along better. There's peace in your home. There's not stress and trouble and fighting and all the things that go on in unhealthy families. Okay, if you've got a family that's been involved in drinking and all that that involves, there's less of that in your life. And you become more responsible to your family. You know what that means? 
It means you're growing in Christ. Here's the third thing. If you're responsible with your money. Now, when Vicki and I got married, one of the hardest lessons I had to learn was that my money was not my money. It was our money. Amen? Now, let me give you an example. See, I would get the checkbook, and I'd see that it had $400 in it. And I'd think, oh, my gosh, I got $400. I'm going to go buy something for $395. Right? I'll have $5 left. I mean, I can go get a hamburger for 99 cents back then, right? And I had to learn that selfish and self-centered. And it wasn't my money, it was our money. Listen, when you become responsible with your money, you know what that means? You don't just think about your own needs and your own wants and your own desires. Listen to me, men, men. When you spend the brunt of your money on toys so you can be happy, you're not being responsible with your family or with your finances. I've counseled with wives who sit in my office across the street and say, my husband wants to buy whatever he wants and then I'm supposed to make it work. That's not being responsible with your money. See, my number one responsibility is that I take care of my wife and my family. That is my number one priority. Not that I get what I want, but that we get what we need and what we want. Then I'm responsible to give God part of what I have. Are you following me? So I'm responsible with my money. Then here's the last one, that I'm responsible with my influence. Listen, every one of you in this room have influence. Here's what I want to ask you. What are you doing with that influence? All right, what are you doing with the influence you have in your family? See, if you're bringing your family toward the light, if there's righteousness and life in your home, then you know what you're doing? You're growing as a believer. It doesn't mean you don't blow it at times. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But you're not drawing your family into darkness. You're drawing your family into light and into life. And you're responsible for your family. You're responsible with your... And I'm not just talking to me and I'm talking to everybody. You're responsible with your finances and you're responsible with your influence. What kind of influence do you portray at your job? What kind of influence do you portray around your friends? What kind of influence and what are you doing with it? How are you using it? All right, if you're using your influence in a righteous way, you're growing spiritually. Now I want to close with just this. I want you to make sure that you understand my heart this morning. Our commander-in-chief, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has given us two directives. Hey, Tulia Christian Fellowship, and all that you do, all the fun things you do, all the things you're involved in, all the things that happen in your church, I want to make sure you're doing two things. Making sure you're winning the lost and making sure you're doing life together. Make sure you're discipling them. If you do those two things, you're doing my directives. And see, then within that, we can do whatever God asks us to do. Ground Zero, Power Kids, whatever. And as we move into Holy Week, and next weekend is Easter, I want to encourage you. Pray for somebody. Invite somebody to church. Not so we can be full, so I can feel good. That's not what this is about. But so that we can win the loss to Jesus Christ. Listen, everywhere you go, you should be inviting people to church. And I've talked about that before. I've struggled with that. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's like I'm the pastor. Everybody knows what I do for a living. Everybody knows who I am. I don't need to invite people to church. No, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I need to be telling people, hey, I'd love to have you in church. Hey, can I pray for you? I stopped and picked up a guy this morning walking to work. This morning as I came to unlock the building and he was walking in the dark and I stopped and said, hey, would you like a ride? And he got in and I gave him a ride and I invited him to church and he was on his way to work and I prayed with him. I'm not doing that because I'm the preacher. I'm doing that because I'm a Christian. You see the difference? But that we're doing what Jesus has asked us to do. 
win the lost, and disciple them. So I want you to pray this week for our services. I want you to pray and invite somebody to church. Use those handout cards. Buy the stickers, two for one today. And all, all, all it is, is so, so somebody says, hey, what's that sticker? That's kind of different looking. Oh, that's my church. I go to Toya Christian Fellowship, and there's amazing things happening there. Lives are being changed. People are being touched. You ought to come and hang out. That's what it's all about. Amen? All right, y'all stand up and let's pray. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Father God, I want to thank you this morning for the two commanders' directives, your intent, Lord, as a church, that we make sure we're doing what you said was most important, that we're winning people to Christ and that we're discipling them. Father God, stir up our hearts. Lord, we want to be a soul-winning church. We want people to be saved in our services. Lord, I'm so grateful for the 80 souls that said yes to Jesus last two weeks. I'm thankful for this weekend for the people that are going to come into this place and are going to say yes to you, that we're winning the loss. We're doing what you've asked us to do. And then we disciple them. We love them. We do life with them. And that your grace is on what we're doing. Lord, guide us this week in who to invite. Guide us on who to pray for. Father, I'm thankful for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Y'all go and be blessed. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend.